Hi, I'm Meg Gerber. This is the Greg Bennett Show. And any questions? Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and I have just finished an absolutely delightful conversation with Meg Gerber, who's a functional dietitian. She's on the Any Question platform. She already has so much wonderful content there, but we actually spend a lot of her time going through her new cookbook called How to Glow Gluten-Free. Now, if you're somebody that is interested in how you feel after certain foods that you eat and you want to optimize your performance in whether whether that be just getting through the day with kids or if that's doing your first Ironman or or triathlon, this is a book that you want to get your hands on. Listen to this podcast and I'm sure you'll be excited about it. And the best thing is Meg has offered it to any of my listeners for free in PDF form if you go to her Instagram, that's Grounded Nourish, Grounded Nourish, direct messenger on Instagram, and she will send you a free PDF version of her book, which is an absolutely delightful cookbook. There's plenty of story there. She even discusses on how to build out your pantry and everything else. Really is an incredible book. You need to go check it out and you can get it for free if you just direct message Meg on Instagram. This is just a wonderful conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed this one. I encourage you to listen to the end. There's just so many great insights onto where our food comes from, what we should be thinking about when we eat. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right, today's guest is a functional medicine dietitian who has experienced her own journey with gut issues and autoimmunity and now helps others with their journeys. She's a registered and licensed dietitian, a certified integrative and functional medicine practitioner, a certified gastrointestinal nutritionalist, and a certified yoga and pranayama breathwork instructor. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but I'm pretty sure that's right. <laughs> anyway, she recently launched her new book, How to Glow gluten-free, going beyond the gluten-free food to embrace a journey of abundance in a diagnosis of restriction. She's just absolutely brilliant contributor on the nutrition channel of any question and she's just a wealth of knowledge and she's just been so willing to share all her knowledge and help others. So it's just an absolute privilege to have her join me today. So welcome and thanks for joining me on the Greg Bennett Show. Meg Gerber, how are you? Hi, Greg. What an introduction. Thank you so much. I'm so, so grateful to be here with you. Thank oh, you for having me. No, the gratitude goes the other way. I have had mm-hmm. so much fun um, flipping through your new book, which I got a couple of days ago. Um, mm, and I've just really loved how you've been looking at the person as a whole and the person as an individual and the way you share your own journey at the start of the book. Um, just massive congrats on that. You know, mm, how's that you. process been for you? How, how was that writing the book? Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I definitely, as a business owner, kind of have leaned on the do-do-doing of business. And so when you're writing a book, it's definitely a different energetic in a way of really leaning into the being and the creativity and that flow state. So I really had to set separate days aside from my clinical work with clients to say, 
say, okay, this is a book writing day. Like this is, mm-hmm. you know, a creation day. This is a vision work day on what the color scheme is going to look like for the cookbook photography. It was leaning into sort of this side of me that I think we all have a creative side within us. But for me, I really didn't think of myself as a creative person. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it felt a little different and uncomfortable, um, but very exciting. And I really set this year as the goal of the kind of the timeline to focus on the cookbook. I started it fully in January. A lot of these recipes are things I've been making over the last few years, really since my celiac diagnosis in 2013. Mm-hmm. I've been kind of getting my hands dirty in the cook kitchen thinking like, what can I make that feels similar or homey or nostalgic to what I grew up eating. So a lot of what, you know, those recipes that you're looking at are things I still make all of the time. I just made like the pesto pasta the other night, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a big part of innately me and, and my journey. And um yeah, everything kind of wrapped up in October. And it's one of those things where I'm so happy and, and grateful I got to do it, but also happy to move on from it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know what? I can't tell you how many books that I've attempted to write. And I think there's probably a lot of people shaking their head listening to this that, we're, oh, I'm going to write a book. To actually start it and conclude it and accomplish it and to do what you've done. It's absolutely a beautiful book. Thank you. It's, it's got mm. so many wonderful recipes in. My wife, Laura, has already gone through it all and is already picking the ones that we're going to get to. Mm. I just got to give you a huge congrats because the fact that you only started in January and, and you got a book out by October is actually quite incredible. Thank you. Yeah. Did you have a good team around you? How'd you pull that off? I'm definitely somebody who sets intentions and sets goals. And I spend time working on those goals, Goals, but I also spend a lot of time meditating and, and working on the vision of like when I'm going to do it, what, what it's mm. going to feel like when I get there. That's important to constantly have me kind of checking in with myself, that like inner inner voice mm-hmm. um, in the process. But I also fully um, understood that like I can't do it alone. I needed support in the journey. So in that intention setting, I did really work on like even writing in my journal. I'm calling in a cookbook photographer who really will honor, you know, XYZ things. Or mm-hmm. I'm calling in someone who can help me with the book design or a copywriter. So I kind of just made that list as I went of like, who else do I still need to have up these loose ends. I'm not going to sit here and say every aspect of it was totally perfect, but I am really grateful for the team of, I ended up working with all women on my team, which was just really a gratifying and fun experience to have that collective um, support. Yeah. I, I found a lot of people naturally through aspects of the book. Like I found the food stylist, food through the photographer. I found um, the book designer through my content editor. So it was nice to kind of work through friends of friends and referrals that way. Wow. And how's the response been? I mean, it's only been out a couple of weeks. Has it been good? Have you been doing a book tour or how's that all been? Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, I'm really grateful. We went Amazon bestseller in four categories, which was really to my surprise. That was super, super exciting. Um, And there's been a lot of excitement and interest around it. I still, I just got a message yesterday from somebody, someone who had given it 
to their mom for her birthday and they've been following me on Instagram for a while and they sent me pictures and just like they had this whole little experience around my recipes in the cookbook and her birthday. And that's just like really special to touch point people in that way and and be connected from afar. Um, So yeah, it's been wonderful. The launch party I had in Austin where I live was incredible and um, just really brought together my community that I've built here kind of in a short time. It's an, it's an insane community down here. It's Mm -hmm. just, just the best people are really supportive of solopreneurs. And, and that's one of the things I love about it here. Um, so yeah, it's been, a, it's been a lot of fun. I have to say. Oh, massive, massive congrats. I'm so glad you get to the other side. Cause I imagine it's been stressful at times and, and here you are the book and getting all that amazing response. Thank you. I mean, to be the bestseller in, in four categories on Amazon is just unbelievable. So congrats again. What I want to do today is basically start the show by kind of just rewinding the clock so we can get to know Meg Gerber a little bit more. And then I really want to spend a bulk of the show kind of on the book and stepping through you know, how to glow gluten-free. Um, I think that, that'd be really fantastic. But let's start by rewinding the clock and give us an idea of just how this journey started for you and and why it was important for you to get this message out. Yeah, I think, you know, the journey probably officially started with my celiac diagnosis. Um, that was in 2013. So I was still in college at the time. Definitely was somebody who just grew up having stomach issues, what you would kind of umbrella term as IBS. Now I dealt with a lot of constipation, a lot of stomach pain. Looking back, I really associated eating out with stomach pain. Like I just always would feel sick after eating out. And I think a big part of that is it's really hard to avoid gluten when you eat out unless you're really conscious about it. Really during that process though, before diagnosis, I wasn't super clear on it being gluten. It wasn't like I ate gluten and immediately had a response in every case. So I went through the colonoscopy and endoscopy process in college. I almost actually canceled it. I remember almost making that phone call to be like, I don't want to get these crazy procedures. Like I don't have an issue with gluten. I don't even think I really eat that much gluten, which I kind of mentioned this in the book. Mm -hmm. And something inside of me was like some voice inside of me, really that intuitive side was like, just get the test. And sure enough, really the telltale sign of celiac is you get an endoscopy with biopsy. And your intestinal villi, these little finger-like projections that line your totality of your GI tract, look like a mowed lawn, predominantly in the small intestine is usually where the damage is for a celiac. So celiac, even though it's perceived as a food allergy or really talked about it that way, it's an autoimmune disease. So it's your body really attacking itself Mm. as the response to eating gluten. So I had a very conventional per se diagnosis in the sense that it's like you get diagnosed and you get told to eat gluten-free and you're basically told this narrative of if you eat gluten-free, you're totally healed, you're going to get well and your body's going to look and appear like a healthy person. Mm. And really what the research says is that intestinal villi will regrow and look like these beautiful finger-like projections, picture like seaweed flowing in the water. Mm. So I left that situation really thinking like, okay, I'm going to get better. And like you almost kind of have a high, I think, when you get a diagnosis because it's like, cool, I have an answer to like why I haven't felt well when mm-hmm. for many years, doctors just say, you know, at least for me and my, my experience and with a lot of my clients, I find this doctors will say like, your labs look normal. You're fine. You're for me at the time, I was a healthy, slender female. So you appear healthy. 
And I knew that I just like didn't feel well. I didn't feel like myself. I didn't feel like my body was like reacting to things the way it should in terms of the stomach pain and the digestive issues. So it was almost nice to get the diagnosis. But what ended up ensuing the years after that is really a lot of my symptoms got worse. A lot of the inflammatory symptoms, like even things like achy joints, um, I still would go through really bad bouts of constipation even after getting rid of the gluten. And the noise in my brain got very, very loud. And what I mean by that is really the narrative of no one understands this. I'm alone in this. I'm needy. I'm frustrating. This is a frustrating situation. So of course, people feel frustrated with me. No one can support me in this. And that noise and that voice was really toxic. Mm -hmm. And I look back on that person now who was so angry with her body and so mad and felt like she couldn't keep up with like the Joneses or just the other women around her in the high intensity workout classes and drinking on the weekends. Like everything just hit me so much harder. And I really fought against my body. Like I I was really mad about it and frustrated. Mm. I look back on that with a lot of compassion for myself. I totally see it on a different side now of, you know, as being someone now who really makes the effort to work with her body and listen to her body. It's a very different energetic in how you approach the healing journey when you're actually seeing how you can support yourself, work with yourself, notice the feedback and symptoms you're getting and and kind of respond to it with, what's here for me? What is my body trying to tell me? Mm. Versus what's wrong with you, body? Why can't you Mm. keep up? Like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can even kind of feel that energetic as I say it. So that is what I infuse very much into my one-on-one work with clients because it sounds silly, but as a dietitian, it's not just about the food. We can't just treat humans as if we're a textbook definition of something. So really the textbook definition of celiac is go gluten-free, but the human definition or the human prescription to approaching celiac or autoimmune in general, in my opinion, is looking at how stress plays a role because mm-hmm. stress can come in so many forms. It can come in the form of negative self-talk like I had. It can come in the form of a toxic relationship. It can come in the form of undereating or overeating or not moving your body or over-exercising. <laughs> uh, there's so many forms of it. And so I really like to shed light for people on the le- this lens of you know what's in your stress bucket Um, How big is that bucket and where can we move the needle and work with the body so that the dietary changes, the supplements, the test kits, these kind of more almost clinical or mass, I call it kind of the masculine versus the feminine, the masculine side to healing is like, you know, let's follow the textbook and, and let's look at, you know, what's the prescription for health from a food and supplement standpoint, but kind of infusing the feminine side. And this doesn't really have to do men versus women. It's more just like that that masculine versus feminine. The feminine side is honoring the emotionality, how someone feels about their health journey, about the foods that they're eating, 
about, you know, the movement practice that they've integrated, about asking for support, about who they are in the world, in their friend or social circle, and how do we infuse those together? Because for me, it just doesn't quote unquote work to say, go eat gluten-free if that is a huge stressor for somebody and we're not looking at how we can support that person on a human level. It's, it's fascinating. One of the favorite things I took from the book was your understanding of stress and its impact on gut health. And, and that mm-hmm. really stood out to me. It, it, I must admit, when I picked up the book, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn some recipes. Mm-hmm. And I, I go through and I read the book and I, it's more I come away with understanding all the various stresses in our life. And if we're in a constant state of sympathetic, you know, which is that, that fight or flight, that that's going to impact the way food and other things affect us. And then we can look Mm -hmm. at environmental toxins and everything else. And I love how you've done that in the book by basically describing that all of these things matter. It's not just, okay, I'm eating this. And I I love in the book, you, you talk about three breasts, three times during every meal, just to be conscious of are you in a sympathetic state or are you in a parasympathetic mm-hmm. state? And that can affect the way your digestive system works. You know, is this all, this kind of way of looking at it, is this all from just self-experimentation? You've realized that if I'm highly stressed, I feel, you know, my joints are inflamed or I feel these certain symptoms that you're getting or, or is this through research? How have you sort of come about this understanding stress and the impact that it has? Mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, I can tell you really took a deep dive on my book and I'm so grateful for that because there's so many people who just looked at the recipes and I can tell you really, (laughs) you went into the story and I appreciate it so much because it's really like what makes kind of me, me in, in Mm. coming out with a cookbook. So thank you. You know, it started with curiosity in my own individual journey. So really um, a couple of years into my journey, I started to, when I still wasn't feeling well, I started to, you know, reach out to some alternative healing Mm -hmm. modalities. So I started going to acupuncture. I had started at that point in time working at the past functional medicine practice that I was originally a dietitian at and, you know, started to learn a little bit more from the doctors there. I started working with a functional holistic healer in Maine at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I was living in Boston back then. And I just started to see through these other healers that there are sort of other ways that my body can feel well. Mm -hmm. And I started to just open up this bucket of getting out of the uh, mind place of trying to, you know, navigate what would work for my body instead of Googling about, for example, the autoimmune paleo diet, which I've done many times to kind of help my symptoms instead of feeling like, okay, I need to just keep restricting my diet. It's all about diet and how many supplements I can add. I started to just let myself feel a little bit more Mm. and then eventually ended up in yoga teacher training because I found a lot of healing and really beauty in yoga. Yoga was like my one, I felt like it was my dirty little secret in my healing journey. It was like the one thing I could go to with stomach pain and I knew I would leave and I would not be in pain anymore. Like Mm. things would just feel recalibrated in my mind and my body. And I felt like okay, I don't know if I fully understand what's going on or need to understand the like clinical aspects of why this is working, but I just feel that it's working in my body. 
So uh, one of those doctors in that journey was someone who really tapped into breathing into my low belly. And he really noticed how much stagnancy was there. And he like with his hands on my body was like, really reteaching me how to breathe. And he's like, you don't know how to breathe. Like your body is holding everything in. It's kind of bracing itself for the next, like out of fear of the next physical symptom that you might have. Your body's lost its ability to feel safe and to just be able to relax, release and breathe. And so I really, through teacher training and then going a little bit deeper in the breath work side of things, started to just feel that alchemy of really what the magic that is breath work when you practice it. It did start with feeling it in my own body. But then uh, later on, I got to this place as a dietitian where instead of telling people, go manage your stress, go meditate, mm, go do mm, yoga, mm. I really was like, I wanted, I want to infuse this into my nutritional work and, and really show people. Like, mm. I want to have them feel it with me on video so that they can understand what I'm understanding and feel the difference of how that shifts that state change in the body. Mm. So I started just, you know, integrating it really with no one's permission. I just was like, you know, I'm, you know, trained in pranayama through through yoga teacher training. I'm just going to infuse this. This is different than most dietitians, but mm-hmm. I want to add this in. And for many people, I start out with them breathing at meals because that feels manageable because it's not an additional you know, add of something to your day. It's like you already have to eat a meal. So you might as well stop and breathe just mm-hmm. to slow everything down and integrate that you know, parasympathetic side, the rest and digest side of the nervous system. And what I found is that people were getting better quicker. And the beauty in this kind of work is it takes really for the client, it gives them their power back. Mm. It helps them realize their really innate healer within that they have. So yes, they're coming to me for the knowledge and the clinical expertise and to piecemeal together, you know, the test kits and the hormone testing and stool testing. But at the end of the day, if they can take away these tools that they can use to regulate their nervous system that they can do on their own without me throughout the rest of their life, that there's, there is so much magic and power in that. Mm. And I had a beautiful experience with a past client a few years ago, one of my male clients who came to me with gut issues, but he really ended up loving the guided, really, I call it breathwork for digestion, private sessions that I do for my clients. And he ended up, you know, hiring me to only do that. He's like, I love the nutrition, but I have found a new life in tuning in. He had never meditated or even stopped to just be still. Um, And he was really a high-powered CEO who just was really taught by the way society kind of gratifies us to go, go, go Mm -hmm. and achieve Mm -hmm. and do all the things. It was so opposite for him to sit in stillness, but he felt how you know, life-changing it was that by the time that we were done, he had built a whole like meditation room in his house. He had like redone his house. It was just like, so it was so fun. And and that was one of my favorite memories as a dietitian. And it's funny because it's not even about food, but it's so powerful. It, it really changes the game. But it's all connected, isn't it? I mean, it's like this, mm-hmm. you can't, my wife, Laura, you know, she works a lot in the, in the nutrition field and has helped a lot of people. We're always discussing that there's a as much psychology 
involved as there is in the actual yes. what you're doing physically. And and one of my favorite quotes, and I'm going to repeat it for people that listen to the show often, it comes from my good friend, Dr. Tommy Wood, who's a, a neuroscientist. And, he, and we discuss it often on, on this show is basically the quote is, you know, what you think has a direct effect on your physiology, right? Mm. And, and it's that whole... And it's been proven in science. This is not just like, uh, this is there that what we think, both positive and negative, and the state that we are in, in any moment of any day, when that comes around food or whatever, if we're not conscious, I love, I think what I love about what you're saying is at breakfast, just be conscious, be conscious Mm -hmm. and pause, take a breath, be conscious about what you're eating and how you're eating and the effect that that's going to have on your body. Understanding that the food that you put in, that what you drink and what you eat is going to affect your mood. And I love that kind of gut brain, you know, access where it goes backwards and forwards, right? It's like you can feel yes. crappy in your brain because your gut's unhappy and you can feel crappy in your gut because your your brain's unhappy. And it's like almost connecting the two and managing both simultaneously. Yes. And, and I think your instruction for the clients and, and you know, you talk about it in the book, it's just perfect. It's like saying these things aren't separate. They need to belong together. Having just a cookbook that's just talking about nutrition is not going to work unless you get these other things right and you understand what you're doing, what state your body's in. I really appreciate everything you're doing on that. I think it's fantastic. Mm, Thank you. I mean, it's a bi-directional highway. You know, I think in the past, this felt like an arbitrary concept and we Mm. now have that the vagus nerve literature to back it up to really show us how the nervous system infiltrates directly into the gut. Um, And what we know is that just what research has shown us is you actually have more communication from gut up to brain. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. interestingly with that is, you know, getting your gut microbiome in a balanced place. And I talk about this in the book and how you can use the food in the book to do this is so important. Like that's a game changer piece. And it's why, I mean, I've seen this all too commonly, like people after COVID or people after food poisoning episodes, they have maybe bouts of like, anxious episodes or depressive episodes or just feeling like their mood it what kind of isn't where it was it's not a coincidence i mean it's 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 very coincidental like that mm. that is um connected because of what's going on with the disruption with the gut microbiome. So there's a lot that we can do to support that bi-directional highway to support mood. And I think it's just supporting that feedback loop by honoring the role that the mind plays and the importance of stillness for the mind. And even, you know, just like with you, what you were saying with meals, doing things one at a time can be so helpful, just like this one at a time challenge to slow things down because we're multitasking so much that that tends to just put us in that sympathetic heightened cortisol state Mm -hmm. that over time, it's really debilitating. Yes, it takes you out of rest and digest mode, but it's also catabolic to your tissues. So when you're constantly spiking cortisol, you're living in this state that tells the body, we need quick fuel to run from a tiger primally. Uh, So what happens is you're increasing your blood sugar you're maybe catabolizing and breaking down glycogen stores in order to help that energy load that the body needs. And that in an acute state, when you really need it, 
it's important and that's why it's an important system that we have the sympathetic nervous system. But the way that society works now, especially coming out of COVID, so many people are just looping in this high cortisol state, which is in the end chronically leading to Mm. more nutrient uh, malabsorption, more catabolism of tissues. So just overall more nutrient deficiency than ever, um, especially in things like minerals. I am so passionate about minerals and there's many reasons why our minerals are low, but stress, Mm. high stress and chronic state of stress is one big reason why we see such deficient levels. Um, But the soil status plays a role on that as well, um, how it influences the food system. So it's kind of hitting, we're hitting it from both sides in terms of like the deficiency is an outcome of, yes, our stress output is so high on the body, that load is high, but then our input from a food system standpoint and even what we're consuming from, from the side of things like blue light and lots of social media, that can be depleting on certain uh, minerals as well. So (laughs) I'm really Mm -hmm. passionate. You probably heard me talk about it a bit on the any question page. I talk so much about minerals because I don't think that there's enough focus on minerals in the conventional health space. I find that we talk a lot about like vitamins and multivitamins, but it's funny because we don't make minerals. Like we actually make a lot of the vitamins in our body. Not that we always can rely on that innate making of vitamins, but minerals we do not make. Like you're not making magnesium or zinc in your body. You have to ingest it. Oh, that, that's fascinating. I'm, I'm jotting down a couple of notes here. And I think you and I are very much on the same page when it comes to, you know, you mentioned screen time and uh, that we're mm. always on these yeah. days. It, it's like we, we have so much abundance around us mm-hmm. and yet we're creating the most stressful time in history. Yeah. Uh, you know, you go back and you look at our ancestors, you know, a hundred plus years ago and, you know, they had to find food and they had to find shelter and they had to find water and and it became, that was their stress. But when they found it, they completely relaxed and that was like, okay, I've got those things ticked. I'm done. Now, even though we have those things, we have one, you know, we go from one big screen to a smaller screen and we finish with an even bigger screen. And yeah. so we're, our brains are constantly on. We're, we're never getting out, giving ourselves the chance, unless we're, unless we're conscious about it, like you're saying, go and meditate, go do yoga, whatever it takes to ground yourself, you know, go for a walk in nature, go for a walk on the beach or have a surf. All of those things, they add up. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we're all sitting behind desks and we're, we're sitting in front of computers so often. I myself, you know, I've come from being an elite athlete to now I'm behind a desk more. Now I consciously have to yeah. put an alarm on my desk, go for a walk outside every sort of hour, even if it's just for five minutes, do something just to keep the metabolism moving, keep, keep the body fresh, but also just keep the brain so it's just not feeling like it's got to be on all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. I watched my wife, Laura, um, you know, we got two little ones. We got a, we got a almost three and an almost five year old. And, and oh she's my gosh, just, yeah, you're busy. she's the greatest mother of all time. She's absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just love watching her work, but she's on all the time. And, yeah. you know, part of my role as a dad is going, okay, I got to take the, I got to give her a break here. Uh, but you know, she comes from that very much of that nurturing protective side that, only mothers really know how. And, and mm-hmm. I see it affect her, the way her digestion works and the way she's feeling. And she knows better, but it often takes somebody else to help go, hey, you need to just go out and have a walk on the beach on your own and decompress and take mm-hmm. some breaths. And 
I, I just think it's fantastic what you're doing on that side that you mm. get it. You obviously understand, you know, all the nutritional facets, but you understand the, the mental side. And that was, I was so excited to have you on the show to just talk about how you, you understand those things and have a conversation about that. Um, I want, I want to go into the next part of the book where you, you get a little bit more specific about what gluten is. And I probably should have started with this. Um, but, but I think it's a good place to, to go to is, is when we talk about gluten intolerance or we talk about celiac, what is gluten? You know, it's the kind of question my mum would ask me. They'd never heard about it, you know, in their generation. So what is gluten? Yeah. So it's the protein in wheat, barley, rye, and most oats. Um, Now, I say most oats, or I kind of say that as a last piece, because oats on their own are inherently gluten-free, but because of the way that they're grown, um, they're highly cross-contaminated in the growing and processing. Mm. So for a celiac, you have to get certified purity protocol oats. And there's a couple of brands, like even One Degree Organics as a brand that's commonly found at like Whole Foods. It's sold at a bunch of grocery retailers. Um, I love this brand of oats because they're glyphosate residue free. So they're free of that really uh, yucky pesticide, but then they also are certified purity protocol gluten-free for celiac. So mainly found in those foods, but it's sneaky as well. So things like soy sauce have gluten, which may come kind of as a surprise. Mm -hmm. It sometimes is snuck into things like sushi rice. It's in a lot of marinades, um, can even be found in like chicken broths or stocks. For someone who's gluten intolerant or gluten sensitive, it's a little bit easier to eat out or just kind of live your life gluten-free, especially nowadays because so many restaurants tend to offer gluten-free options. Most people are aware of it. I say most. Mm. But for celiac, it's a little bit of a different ballgame. It's a little bit more of a learning curve, which I talk to, um, I talk about it in the book, yeah. just kind of navigating that as a celiac. I don't think you really know what it's like. I didn't know what it was like to really deal with a food allergy or like a deep food restriction until I actually lived it and have a different level of empathy for the person going through it. Just because of the ways that that like infiltrates into social life, dating life, meeting new people. Um, There's just a lot there. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I'll have a nutrition consult with clients where the whole time might be us focusing on what's the narrative and the story you're telling yourself. How can we work on, you know, where that narrative comes from? What's like that root belief behind that? And then move towards what we're trying to create. And I like to use things like I am statements with my clients as we're working on that in order to really approach and show up in the world with the energy that they're wanting to draw in. Because if you're showing up at a social event with the story of I am needy and annoying and no one wants to help and support me and I'm not worthy of it, then that is going to be felt by the world around you. And mm. that, you know, that's, that's not the goal. It's a learning curve. It takes time. It's not usually overnight. I have clients where, you know, they might've been diagnosed with celiac a year ago and we're still working on this. And it's really asking in a kind and compassionate way for your needs to be met and letting the people around you who support you and love you show up for you because it actually ends in more connection, more vulnerability on both sides when you create the space for that person to show up for you. Mm. But a lot of, you know, early in my journey was me isolating myself more, thinking that I could take care of myself, 
and no parents, you don't know what to do. I'm not going to let you in. Um, and that actually just isolates both parties even more. So that's something that I really talk about with, with people is just allowing that invitation of let's see if you can invite that person, that loved one and see, you know, they have the free will to show up or not, but invite them in because nine times out of 10, you guys are going to end up feeling even more connected to each other. I love that. Invite them in. It's getting, you know, that victimhood mentality, which we've all mm. from time to time, yes. you know, fallen victim to, and we, we come out and we're like, okay. And, and it's almost understanding that if you can bring people onto your team, it's one of the things, mm. you know, when, when my dad passed and I worked with my mom and she said, Greg, on your podcast, you, you always talk about, you know, people in their teams. And, mm-hmm. and she was so good at not being a victim of being a widow, she created a team. And she said, Mm. you know, within six months of my dad dying, she'd created this team where it was, you know, her veterinarian, it was the finance guy, it was a lawyer, it was, and she had this team of people and she invited them all over for a dinner at her house and um, Mm. said to them all, you're all my team. Right, and I there's an empowerment that. when you do that. I know it yeah. feels special if, if you if Meg Gerber reached out and said, "Greg, I want you a part of my team," you immediately mm. feel a connection. Right, there's yeah. immediately like, "Oh, well, I don't want to let Meg down now. I, I, you know, I better stand up to the plate." And I think the more you can have that mentality of inviting people in, like you said, inviting them in a way that they're, they're a part of your journey, that they're a part of your team. Boy, you can turn things around quickly. So I think that's really fantastic that you do that, that it's kind of like changing the way you perceive your diagnosis. And that's what mm-hmm. your whole book is about and, and your vulnerability in the way you share your journey. And I think you, you talk about Thanksgiving and, you know, and your mom and you not quite hitting it eye to eye in terms of what's going mm-hmm. on. And, and that was almost your breakthrough moment it was like, hang on, this is, this is mm-hmm. not how I want to operate for the rest of my life. I love my mom and I want to sort this out. It's a great illustration though of, of bringing people into your team. Do you think it's gluten is something that we all should be eliminating or reducing or or what is your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, this is a question I get pretty often and there is actually a a researcher out of Harvard in, in Massachusetts who his name's Alessio Fasano. He had the groundbreaking research with a protein called zonulin, which he basically showed that anytime someone eats gluten, there is this zonulin release in the body. And what zonulin does is it opens the tight junctions that are like these little spaces, kind of uh, junctions holding the cells together. It opens those tight junctions in the gut and causes some level of intestinal permeability or uh, quote unquote leaky gut in all people but the big but there is the window of that opening is different in everybody. So he basically found that like in some people that window is open for days, for some people it's open for seconds. Like there's some level of an intestinal permeability response in all people when they eat gluten. And why do we care about that? Why do you not want a leaky gut? Think of it as kind of like the above ground swimming pool where if one side of it is, um, you know, someone punched a hole in one side, it's starting to leak out. Like it's just not going to look like this great swimming pool 
pool anymore. Um, that water's leaking out. And what can happen is there's areas of the intestines where they're just one cell lining thick. The wall is just one cell thick. So as you get that permeability, you can leach food particles, really foreign entities into the serum, into the blood flow. And it's being looked at as a possible root cause behind autoimmunity. Since autoimmunity is typically this reaction of not recognizing the self and attacking the self, mm. attacking self tissue. The, what studies have shown us is that that kind of response of like, those food particles and things that aren't supposed to be in the serum where the body's attacking itself can potentially lead to an autoimmune spiral later on. I think that's one interesting facet of it. And then I think the other side of it is the gluten of today is not the gluten of, you know, our grandparents. It is a highly processed, hybridized form of wheat that is much more difficult for our intestinal microbiome to break down, to absorb. If someone was eating, you know, a cracked einkorn wheat that they fermented into a sourdough bread themselves, which I know some, like I have some clients who do that, they get like a really old whole grain wheat and old mean, meaning like one of the more ancient wheats, not one of the hybridized like new age wheats and makes their own fermented sourdough bread that typically in a gluten sensitive person, not a celiac, but gluten sensitive or the general person with gut issues trying to be mindful, they typically, typically tolerate it that much better. The other thing that I talked to my audience a bit about is just the glyphosate influence as well. So glyphosate is the active ingredient chemical in Roundup Ready herbicide, pesticide. <laughs> Jeez. And yeah. And so are you familiar with glyphosate? Yeah. Well, go on. I don't want, yes, I am, but I want you to keep going. <laughs> yeah. So it essentially um, started, you know, in the early nineties is really when we started to readily use it in the food supply um, and start to cut wheat crops with glyphosate. So a lot of the wheat that we now have in the food supply, especially like the processed wheat um, is heavily contaminated with glyphosate as well as monocrops that are um, things like corn, soy, sugar beet, those those are really common sources of glyphosate that are just, you know, heavily sprayed and glyphosate research has shown us as well. And, and Zach Bush is kind of a pioneer in the, in the space of illustrating this for us is there's a zonulin response in the body as um, a result of ingesting and coming into contact with glyphosate. Mm. So we're seeing as well, this intestinal permeability, leaky gut, body kind of attacking or reacting to against self per se um, when we ingest glyphosate. And it's, you know, at this point in time, it's so heavily in our food supply that it's not about avoiding it. It's about reducing your exposure to it. Yeah. And and this is something like in my, I'm running a group course right now called the stressed gut solution. And we are doing a whole week module on 
reducing gut disruptors, reducing glyphosate exposure and what you can do about it. Cause there's our way, there are ways that you can kind of detox from it in some capacity and protect your gut. This is no longer this like crazy, you know, concept of the, the woo woo people per se in the space. <laughs> it, we are seeing this like actively um, in the research in terms of promoting autoimmunity, promoting cancer, promoting even things like asthma and respiratory dysfunction because of that aspect of like the, the leaky barrier, cell barrier. So I sort of walk this line of knowing, of, of looking at it as like, is it the gluten or is it the glyphosate? And I talk about that in the book a little bit. Mm. I'm really passionate about this topic just because I feel as though a lot of people just aren't aware of this. This is not something that, you know, you can Google as easily because of the way that the government has kind of protected some of this, you know, the, the monocrop uh, food industry. So it's, it's a little bit tricky to understand fully, but what I really tell people is, you know, what you can do. And I have a post on my Instagram about this of like, just how do you, what can you do about this whole glyphosate mess? Um, one of the best things you can do is take away any of the middlemen and any, and really supporting the monocrop, big, big farming less by buying from local vendors. So mm. going to farmer's markets, going to local farmers, farms. Um, even if they're not certified organic, most of these farmers are not spraying with glyphosate because they know the outcomes on, for example, their children. Like we're seeing outcomes from children playing soccer on soccer fields that have been heavily sprayed with glyphosate because it's a weed killer. And um, it's very dangerous. Mm. So many farmers are like, well, we're not going to spray that. Like that's going to affect my kids, my, you know, people living on my farm. Um, so, so talking with them and talking with the farmer too about really the art that they're passionate about. So many of them live lonely lives where they don't make a lot of money. And I really love to support them by giving them my full dollar. Like they're getting all the money directly. There's no middleman. And asking them, literally asking your farmer, how can I support you? Because um, one way that I like to do that is like posting about some of these small farmers on my social media, just in my like local areas. But many times, you know, they're willing to, maybe they want to be involved in events or just um, be connected with, with other ways, other markets that they can be featured at. But I think that's one of the best ways to support. And then in addition, there is a glyphosate residue free label that's now being put on food. It's like a green and white label. For example, Malk is like a brand of almond milk and oat milk. They're a glyphosate residue free brand. Supporting those brands are important because I think, you know, we're voting with our dollars a bit here. And for me, that feels really good and intentional to say, you know, yeah, foods, healthy foods, freaking expensive. And if I can spend it on the companies who are really making a difference at the food system level, buying organic is great too. Um, but I do think at the local level, it's more of a game changer in my opinion. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, that we're even having to have this conversation. Yeah. I mean, look, this conversation has to be said and, and had, and thank you for sharing all of that because I know myself and everybody listening is like, scratching their heads is almost how did we get this far? And don't get me wrong, yeah. we, we have a, a human population that's been growing. The The government's been trying to figure out how to feed this population and how to support farmers in any way they can. And farmers have been trying to find the shortcuts to make it happen. And, and look, there's a lot of people that simply can't afford to 
to eat unless we get them a supply chain that, that's affordable. So I, I understand the economics and, and I, I get it. But the more we can do, like you said, if you can afford to be supporting your local farmers, if you can be getting the message out to everybody, I think that's that's incredible. And, and yeah. I would say too, Greg, you know, if you can't, if it's, if that feels unaffordable for some people, cause I want to honor that too, educating yourself, I think is something mm. we all can do. So kiss the ground is a wonderful documentary all about regenerative agriculture, mm. because this conversation with glyphosate comes back many times to this, like, you know, we're feeding America because we're helping the food supply grow and regenerative agriculture at kind of a ground level. Uh, what we've seen is that that actually will have a greater food supply outcome if we were able to transition the farms in this country to regenerative. And what, what gets blocked there is, you know, the government is basically funneling subsidies to these monocrop farms where they're like, okay, my hands are kind of tied because, you know, I'm getting this funnel of money. Whereas if that money was funneled towards the transition of a farm that's monocrop to regenerative, because it takes a few years to really jump ship on what they're doing now and then integrate this regenerative model that really is a circle of life model that the beauty of it from a from a level of a food system level is that we are repairing and kind of um rebirthing that innate microbiome dense soil that is a mineral rich soil mm. through regenerative ag. So we've lost that mineral density, that kind of um, alive soil aspect because of these kind of just, it's all one monocrop, just single single crop farms. I was on a regenerative farm earlier this year in Texas where they did this rain um, simulation and they showed regenerative soil versus monocrop soil. And they showed how the regenerative soil took the rainfall and really almost none of that water seeped through to the bottom. Whereas the uh, regular conventional soil sprayed with glyphosate, almost all of that water seeped through and became runoff. And so it's this understanding in the farm space, which I'm really not a farming expert, but I've, I've tried to kind of educate myself to understand that there's this runoff problem with the soil because we don't have that dense like network of fungi, bacteria just built into the soil to sequester the water in order to birth that regenerative, say, species and crop outcome. So I only say that because there are great resources to help people kind of understand why, you know, integrating um, meat into your diet and into the agriculture system is an important piece of the circle of life, Mm. along with supporting regenerative farms. So I would say if people are looking for other farms to support too, in terms of like on a US level, Force of Nature and White Oak Pastures are two regenerative farms that ship US wide. And so if you are getting meat and you, you know, you wanting to support a regenerative farm that's really has that mineral density to the soil that's then translating to the food you're eating. That's a way that people can do that as well. Mm, you, you know what I appreciate about this conversation we're having is you're somebody that understands that you need to know where your food is coming from as well, all mm-hmm. the way to how you prepare it and, and knowing yourself when you you do have being conscious of what you're eating when you're eating. You really are somebody that's looking at the entire framework when it comes to nutrition. It's not 
mm, what to eat you. any one moment. It's like understanding where is it coming from that impacts you and the environmental toxins around it, what you think, and 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 everything around that is going to be how your body responds. Uh, and I think that's you know kudos to you because I think that's fantastic. You've obviously had a pretty big struggle yourself because I think that's where the greatest learning often comes from. <laughs> you know, it's one yeah, thing for other totally. people to teach you, but when you're in the trenches mm-hmm. yourself, you get it and you get it quick. Um, so I'm thoroughly enjoying this. I, I, I don't want to let you, let you go yet because I, I do want to ask you some other questions about your sure. book in terms of just what are some of your favorite recipes that you've actually put in there that, that are your go-tos uh, uh, and that you'd yeah. recommend to listeners? This is always fun. Um, so, I mean, I love so many of them, but I really love, so I know we're coming up on the holidays. I love the tahini cauliflower harissa appetizer because it's a little different. I mean, a lot of appetizers are like cheese and crackers and carbs, and this is a more like veggie dense, but super delicious, super flavorful, fresh herbs, the tahini harissa sauce, the crunchy pistachio. It's just a really yummy kind of power packed, flavor packed dish. So my my family skis and I love the baked potato frittata because we're always like having a big breakfast together before we go skiing and um, or just if we're together around the holidays, I love to make that because it kind of has like a baked potato vibe, but it's it's an egg dish. And the salted banana muffins are kind of a unique to me recipe. I love tiger nut flour. This is something I found in my autoimmune journey because it's free of a lot of the allergen foods like nuts and seeds, but it's a root vegetable that's prebiotic fiber dense. So it's really good for the gut microbiome. It Mm. feeds those healthy gut bacteria. Um, And it's naturally sweet tasting. So this is a great recipe because it doesn't have any added sugar, just sweetened with banana. And then I love the fish tacos too, because Siete, have you heard of Siete chips or eaten Siete chips or Siete tortillas? I haven't. I haven't. Okay. You'll have to try them. They're, yeah, they yeah. were a big part of my journey. So they're, they're a corn-free um, chip, just it kind of with some better ingredients. And I, the, it's actually a local company to Austin. So I've known the family for a long time and the chips are used as a crust in that mm. um fish tacos. It's kind of like a little bit of a spicy kick flavor. So super yummy. Perfect. I've just jotted all of those down. I know we do <laughs> use ta- tiger nut in our house. I've seen that in, oh, the, in the fridge. Our little one, our, our little girl has, you know, been dealing with SIBO and everything else. So mm. my, my wife has been on edge with everything. And so yeah. I think she's going to be fascinated about this conversation. Don't be surprised if she's reaching out to you beyond any question. I think you'll see a oh, bunch I of questions coming in on any question, but I think she even wants to talk to you in person at some point. I think she's quite envious of me having this conversation, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, but I said, well, you can listen and then you can she reach can out. She can reach out anytime. Yeah. 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 Um, tell me, you answered this one on any question. I thought it was a great response. As somebody asked, you know, your favorite three veggies. I don't, not sure if you remember answering that, but I'll give you a, a reminder. You said beets, broccoli sprouts, and then you just said fresh herbs is something that, you know. We're, yeah, we're yeah. I mean, I wanted to be a little out of the box with it yeah, yeah. a little bit. I really love beets just because, I mean, for so many reasons, but I think people are afraid of them because they're like, oh, beets have sugar, but they're so great for supporting people with blood flow issues, which like mm. a lot of people have in my space have like Raynaud's, which is autoimmune yes, um, circulation issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I have it. it. I have it as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Raynaud's for everybody that's listening is 
cold hand and feet and then they get really hot and sweaty. It's like, yeah, just definite circulation issues. Mm -hmm. Um, it's helpful for driving up nitric oxide in the body. Um, so that's helpful too, for women who like going through menopause, estrogen can have effect on that or really, um, loss of estrogen. So I love beets for that reason. I love it because it's a methylation vegetable. And what methylation is, is it's really just adding a methyl group onto a molecule in the body to activate a process is kind of the short answer of what methylation is, but it's involved in DNA expression. It's involved in things like estrogen detox, which is a big thing I work on with a lot of my female clients, detox in general from chemicals, toxins, molds. And a lot of people have genetic disruption. If anyone's done like a 23andMe test, Mm. um, it typically looks at things like MTHFR or COM which are just common genetic polymorphisms in methylation. And so I love beets for that reason. And then it also has, it has something called betaine in it, which can be helpful for people who have sluggish or low stomach acid to help support the pathway of just optimizing stomach acid to break down things like protein, which a lot of people have trouble with just the digestive um, juice secretion, whether it's stomach acid, digestive enzymes, bile flow. This is something I work on with so many clients because there's a lot of blockages in those pathways through things like stress, medication influence, um, toxin load. And so many people just the the work in, in my practice is on optimizing digestive juice flow so that we're not getting things like SIBO, overgrowth, candida, because food's been sitting too long that hasn't been digested. So it's a perfect storm for the overgrowth to happen. I, I'm kind of just thinking about everything that you, you're going through here with, with all of these vegetables and things that we need. Do you find there's, is it too, you can, can you overdo things? I mean, is it like everything? If you overdo one thing, it could have a negative effect? You know, not for everything. I think that it's a valid question to ask. I would say like, sometimes there can be too much of a good thing. For example, too many supplements may not be good for some people. Mm. Um, too many fermented foods can be problematic. Like I, I've seen that. It's just, it's too much of that like probiotic, prebiotic load on the body in certain people. Um, but bitters, I feel differently about. So bitter vegetables, I talk about this in the cookbook. Yes, optimized, like, chapter five. <laughs> yeah, things like broccoli sprouts, broccoli yes. family veggies. Even fresh dill is considered a bitter, which is funny because it doesn't taste super bitter. Um, radish, endive, like if you're doing like a holiday uh, raw crudite, I love to have people do like endives on it and radish instead of the typical like carrots, just because it changes up and gets some of that bitter food to help support your digestive flow, huh. help support bile flow. Um, we actually have the most bitter receptors lining our digestive tract more so than any other receptor, taste receptor. So it helps support support just digestive motility, meaning moving things along through the gut the best when you eat bitter foods. And I think the other piece, the other reason I love better is it's just so many people are sensitized to like, they love sweet and salty and fatty and it changes up and lights up the taste buds a little bit. It just kind of shakes up your routine um, to help with things like sugar cravings when you incorporate more bitter foods. Interesting. You know, my, my almost five-year-old, um, we've got her eating the broccoli sprouts a lot mm. and she actually loves them. She loves the, I love it. And I don't know it's because she's had her own, you know, gut issues that we've been working on. We almost feel like sometimes these kids, we keep telling them what to do. And Laura and I are to the point, we almost think innately they know, like their body is telling them 
And and we've got to the point we actually do listen to our little ones. I remember once our little guy, mm. he was he had a bit of croup, you know, and and the croup is mm. kind of scary yeah. as a parent. They can't breathe, and you're like ah. And he was demanding to eat a pear, and we fortunately we had some pears. He's like, I want a pear, I want a pear. And the first thing we look up, what's the best thing you can feed a child with croup? Is like a pear. Now we hadn't looked it up, we hadn't talked wow. about it, but the kid knew that he wanted a pear, and it was like, and don't get me wrong, he'd eaten pears in the past, so it wasn't. But it was fascinating, and we've done that that experiment with our kids a little bit, um, and that's not to say we don't say, you know, you got to eat this and everything else. We're not just leaning over to every everything they want, but it is fascinating when I've watched yeah. my little one want bitters, and she likes to have it towards the front end of her meal too. It's almost like she wants to lay down the, the tracks or something before we get wow. to the rest of the dinner. But it is fascinating. Mm. I mean, I love that because I think too, with things like sprouts and herbs, it's little, little amount, small quantity for big yeah. outcome. Yeah. Like yeah. you really don't need to eat huge amounts of it and it just jacks your phytonutrient load up really high. It's really um, just extra antioxidants for the body, extra mm. detox support. So it's like, you know, you don't need to eat huge quantities of it and it can make a big difference. I love it for like my people who have busy weeks who can't really food prep. I'm like, just get some sprouts or get some fresh herbs and throw that on your meals. And at least we know we're getting, yeah, some of that rich phytonutrient aspect. I love that. Well, Meg, this has been absolutely fantastic. You are a wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. and I can tell you've been through it because this knowledge is sticking. You're great at, at sharing this knowledge and I truly appreciate it. For people that want to hear more from you, they can, well, one, they can go to your answers on any question that are already there and you've got answers about keto diet, salt, starting the day with coffee, talking about dairy, talking about milk. Everybody just go check it out on any question and look up Meg Gerber and you can listen to all the answers there. Obviously, you've got the book, which we've gone through and you've got your website where mm-hmm. you, anybody can come and ask you questions as well. And that website is called groundednourish.com groundednourish.com. Yes. So the website's actually going to be under construction until Jan 1, okay. but it's www.groundednourish.com. But your audience also can follow me at groundednourish on Instagram. Perfect. And I would love to just offer your audience, um, I would love to gift them a free PDF online copy of the cookbook if they DM oh, wow. me on my Instagram. So they can just DM me and say, hey, I, I listened to you on the Greg Bennett show and um, I'm happy to gift them a, a free PDF copy. For, oh, that's very kind of you. In. You're amazing. Yeah. Uh, what a what a yeah. treat. I know it's a it's a book that Laura and I are going to use. It's sitting in the kitchen with us now. Look, honestly, Meg, I just truly appreciate you coming on and, and sharing just so much. I have more notes and that means I'm going to have to have you back at some point if you're up for it. Yay, I would absolutely <laughs> love it. I, I mean, we touched it. a lot. We touched a lot, but I still feel like we, we've scratched <laughs> the surface on many areas and I want to go you know, dive in a little bit deeper, but it really has been fantastic that you know having you on the show so thanks for coming on thank you greg likewise i really really appreciate you i would love to come back and just you know feel really feel that like-mindedness between us so so much gratitude to you thank you perfect well thank you and thank you everybody for listening um you can find all the show notes and timestamps at bennettendurance.com forward slash media thanks a lot for listening if you've enjoyed the show your support would truly be appreciated You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. 
Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.